Well, uh, the stereotypical alien encounter, okay, the one that at least was presented back in the black and white TV days, for those of you who are old enough to remember, um, it always seemed to imagine some kind of unidentified flying object that's seen flying up in the sky. Usually it's metal, it's shiny, it's disc-shaped, and it's slowly descending downward towards Earth. And as that happens, a crowd gathers around and watches the descent. And finally, um, the object touches down on the ground, and then the door opens up slowly, and out from that orb, this extraterrestrial life form emerges, goes down onto the ground, and makes its way towards the crowd, And it always seems to come up with that same initial request. The initial request is always, take me to your leader. Um, Now, I have heard it said that the surest evidence that intelligent life does exist elsewhere in the universe is that they have thus far avoided this planet. Um, and, And given some of the leaders we might take them to on the world stage these days, there, there may just be some truth to that, um, but uh, whatever it is, um, if nothing else, that phrase, take me to your leader, it kind of just reminds us of how much leadership matters. Um, every organization has its leaders that we can take people to, and the question is really, how do they lead? What does it look like? Um, the military, for example, leads a certain way. And then if you're a worker at a Chick-fil-A branch, there's a good chance that's going to be led in a very different way. So if you go to the bookstore and you look on the leadership section, um, you're going to find Leadership Secrets of Attila the Hun right next to Leadership Secrets of Santa Claus. (laughs) And I've not read either book, but I have a feeling that what you find in there is going to be very, very different in terms of the, the, the leadership philosophy. So this morning, uh, the passage that we're looking at is going to take us to the leaders of the local church. Uh, we're in the third week of a series that we've been in on the book of First Timothy. The, the series is called House Rules, and um, First Timothy is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young leader. His name is Timothy. Timothy's church needed some house rules set up to stay on track, to keep things healthy. And so uh, we've been looking at them over the past several weeks and seeing what does it look like when the gospel, the reality of the gospel starts to make its way and bleed into every aspect of what a church does and how they operate. And today, in, in terms of how, does, how leadership actually works. And so we're in chapter 3. And it paints a picture of what leadership looks like at the local church level and and how these principles that we find there apply not only at church, but they apply individually and personally to each of our lives and the areas of leadership that are entrusted to us um, in whatever whatever realm that may be. So if you have a Bible, um, open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to read just the first verse to start, which says this. This saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 
So let me just stop there for a moment and clarify who are these leaders that this letter is taking us to, uh, the church leaders, the, the, the office of overseer is what it's talked about in this passage. And in Greek, uh, the word for overseer is episcopus. And if that sounds familiar, it's where the English word episcopal comes from. So if you've ever been familiar with an episcopal church, that comes from this term, um, overseer. And it means to look intently over. Basically, we get the idea it's oversight, right? Um, There's also two other terms that the Apostle Paul uses interchangeably that help us understand uh, what this portrait of leadership looks like at the local church. One term is the term elders. Um, So later on in this letter, in chapter 5, verse 17, Paul is going to talk about honoring the elders who rule well. Uh, The Greek word for elder is presbyteroi. And if that sounds at all familiar, that's where the word presbyterian uh, comes from. So it's two actual church traditions that are named after the leadership structures. And um, that word elder, it actually got carried over from Judaism. So um, the elders in Judaism were those who were in leadership positions at the temple. And we kind of know what elder means. It means mature, older. Uh, typically, it means that in a spiritual sense more than it does in a physical sense. And then there's one other term that also applies to this discussion. It's the word shepherd. Uh, the Greek is poiemen, and, and this is where the, the word shepherd comes from. But we may be more familiar with the word pastor. Um, that that word pastor comes from the idea of a shepherd. And in the Bible, believe it or not, the word pastor is only used once as a noun. Ephesians 4.11 talks about Jesus giving to the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, and shepherds or pastors. Um, That's actually the only time the word pastor applies to a person. Every other time, it's used as a verb. It describes what the church leaders do, that they shepherd the church. So 1 Peter chapter 5 um, is actually uses all three of these terms in the same passage, which is really helpful for kind of getting a sense and making sense of how they all fit together. So let me read that for you real quick. It says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder... Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, so this is just to understand the terminology we're using. Elders... Uh, That answers the who question. Who are the church leaders? They're elders. They're spiritually mature men. Um, And then overseers uh, answers the what question. What what do the church leaders do? They, They provide oversight. They watch over what's going on in a church family. And then the word shepherds, that answers the how question. How do church leaders go about the task of oversight and is they shepherd. The same way a shepherd would lead their flock, directing, protecting, and correcting those who are entrusted under their care. 
Okay, um, and so just to clarify, what does that look like for us here at Lakeview? Um, I would tell you that I am, I am one of the elders, and you know, I'm okay with the term pastor because that's like people call me pastor, um, but really I'm an elder. Um, I'm one of the elders. We currently have four, uh, four guys on our elder team. I'm going to give them a shout out later on, but the point being that we serve together. We're entrusted with that same task of oversight. So, so I'm the only one who's employed full-time at the church, which means that there is a greater responsibility for much of the day-to-day running of things and ministries and that kind of stuff. But, but church oversight, it's a, it's a team sport, and it's something that we do together. Okay, enough of that. Um, the very first thing this passage tells us, it points to, is that this office of overseer is a noble task that's worth pursuing. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, so here's the first house rule for this morning. I think we're up to number seven. Um, in this house, aspiring is applauded. Okay, we are all about people stepping up and jumping in and getting involved and making a difference. And for some, that means aspiring to some kind of leadership responsibility in a local church setting. But overall, the goal is not to stand on the sidelines, be a part of a church, and do as least as possible, right? Um, It's to get in the game to make a difference, roll up your sleeves, and do what you can. And, and, and that's in contrast to, to what sometimes I do hear from people when they come to church here, and I introduce myself to them, and one of the first things that I get is that I want to make it sh- crystal clear that my aspirations are to do nothing. I want to take up a seat, I want to listen to the message, and as soon as the last song starts going, I'm out the door and I do not want to be involved, and I especially don't want to be involved in any kind of leadership responsibility. I'm allergic to that kind of stuff. So if that's where you're at, let me just remind you of this first verse, that it's a noble aspiration. Don't be allergic to it. Now, noble doesn't always mean easy. It's no secret. If you've been a part of a church, you know things get messy. Uh, Things get complicated, Noble also doesn't mean that everyone is going to like you, right? There's, there's sometimes some hard calls that have to get made. It's part of the leadership task. Uh, I've heard it said, you probably have too, if you want everybody to like you and you want to make people happy, go sell ice cream, right? <laughs> but definitely do not sign up for church leadership, um, Noble doesn't mean being appreciated or getting the call right every time or anything like that. But the nobility of what's being talked about, I think it's found in two realities. It's noble, first of all, because of the place that God has in his heart for his church. This flawed family, this imperfect people that we call the church, that we belong to, is so precious to him. We've, we've been looking at that already. It's the household of God, the pillar and buttress of the truth is how it's described at the end of this chapter. And when we start seeing the church the way God sees it, when we get, catch his heart for it, 
you just start to see what an amazing honor it is to participate in any way, right? And even to assume the smallest amount of responsibility for something that matters so much to him. So that's the first reality. The second is that it's a noble task because of the unique opportunity for personal growth that you enter into once you start aspiring to some kind of leadership. It just opens you up to intense personal growth opportunity. So listen as it goes on and and describes the short list of character qualities that Paul tells Timothy to be on the lookout for in a church leader. He says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Okay, so that's the the short list of qualities. And what surprises me when I first read that is, is all of the details about leading a church that seem to have gone missing from this passage, right? There's This this is not like some kind of manual on how leaders are to lead the church. And, you know, personally, I would kind of love it if that was in the Bible somewhere. Like, you know, just spell out what you want me to do, all the specifics, and that would be great. But that's not what we find here. It's not the main concern of this passage, and it's really not something you find a whole lot of in the entire New Testament. Um, This is a list of character qualities, And so house rule uh, number eight, in in God's house, character counts. In God's house, character counts. God's leadership blueprint places who a leader is out in front of what a leader does. Now, it's not because what a leader does doesn't matter. It's just because who the leader is matters more. It matters first. It's what's called character-based leadership. And what we do is born out of who we are. And that principle is on full display here in this passage. And so just, just think about all of the things that could have made it onto this leadership list. It could have said, find the most gifted people in the church and elevate them to the position of leadership. Or, or find the one with the most dynamic personality or the sharpest communicators or the ones who have the most Bible knowledge or those who have in positions of influence in the community. It's fascinating that nothing like that shows up here on this list. In fact, able to teach is the one and only skill that's actually mentioned here. Everything else has to do with the manner in which a person goes about living out their lives. The idea is that the impact that God intends for you and for I to make comes out of our character first, our competency second. And so this list, it applies in two different directions. It's first of all applying directly to those who get selected for positions of church leadership. So, so the concern is that the elders 
who are entrusted with overseeing a local church would be men of high character. But that's not all. Because of what comes next. You see, right after this list, there's a second list. And this next list spells out the character qualities to look for in deacons. Now, that word deacon, it translates those who serve. It's where we get the word minister from, and it's basically describing servants of the church. So here's the question. Uh, For those of you who have been a part of Lakeview for a time, you got to get this question right. Uh, Because I've asked it before. How many ministers do we have at Lakeview? Okay, sorry, I didn't really ask that. I didn't frame that for a good response. But if you answer one, we have one minister, then you got that answer wrong. Uh, The correct answer is everyone, right? If you are a member, you are a minister. And, And like that really is a part of what makes Lakeview such a special place. The number of people who step up and serve this church family in all kinds of ways. So listen, if that is you, and I'm going to read this next list that's directed to anyone who's serving at a church in any way. Here's the kind of character qualities to reflect, to aspire to, and to develop. It says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacon if they, are, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers. And I'll just stop there and say there is a translation issue with that. Um, you may see an asterisk on your, in that passage where it says their wives and I prefer the alternate translations, which is deaconesses, so those who are women who serve as opposed to their wives, um, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so there's the list. And let me ask you, this was the point I want to make. Does that sound at all familiar, that list? It's, it should because it's almost an exact repeat of the first list, right? Or if you're old enough to remember the Herman Hermit song, it's second verse, same as the first. It's, it's, it's worded just a little bit differently, but other than elders being exclusively male and able to teach, both lists cover the same territory. And that's significant. What that means is that the local church is meant to serve as a leadership laboratory. That character development is the curriculum, and it's meant to be applied at every level of what we do. So this is for every one of us. Whether you hold a position of leadership or not, God's intention for all of us, for every member of his family of faith, is that we would lead with our lives. So if you long to make a difference, if you long to make an impact in your world, in your family, in your workplace, or whatever it is for Christ, then make this list, make these character qualities your target. This is the bullseye. This is what you aim for. These are the marks of maturity to develop and to cultivate. 
So let's just take a quick tour through this curriculum and peruse uh, God's curriculum of character formation. Uh, The first attribute says is living a life that's above reproach. So that would be sort of the overall umbrella under which all of the other attributes would fall under. Above reproach, that means scandal-free. It means there's no secret skeletons hiding somewhere in the back of the closet somewhere that if somebody found out about and brought it to the open, it would show that that person would be a very different person from the one that they're presenting themselves to be. Um, Now, above reproach doesn't mean never struggles. It doesn't mean has no issues. It doesn't mean does everything perfectly. That that would be nice. That would be great. But um, that's not us. That's not any of us, leaders included. What it does mean is that those issues are being brought into the light instead of hiding in the dark. It means they're being worked through and dealt with in appropriate ways instead of just being stuffed on some kind of back burner. It goes on and talks about uh, maturity for those who are married, uh, that it gets expressed through fidelity in the marriage relationship. So the way it's expressed is a being the husband of one wife, and that literally translates as a one-woman man. It's, it's not so much an indication of this person has been married more than once, it's, it's the attitude towards their spouse. So a mature husband is consistently and demonstratively channeling his love and affections onto his wife exclusively. So that means there's no mixed signals being sent, you know, and sometimes this is uh, something that guys struggle with, you know, that adolescent uh, just immaturity. Yes, I'm married, which means I'm not in the game anymore, but I'm still a player, right? You know that attitude, right? You've seen that. That's that's done. That's settled. That is over. Um, Appropriate boundary lines get set up. Physical boundary lines, emotional boundary lines, and relational boundary lines. The purpose is to protect what matters most. And it's to reflect the faithful God that we worship and serve. Goes on and talks about sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. All three of these have to do with the way that we process and we respond to what we're encountering um, in and around our lives. So sober-minded would be in contrast to a mind that's intoxicated, that's not thinking clearly, whether that because it's under the influence of alcohol, which will get its own mention, but not limited to just that. It could be under the influence of just voices or teachings or ideologies or anything else that would cloud clear thinking, the kind that causes polarization and overreaction and trigger extreme irrational responses. I don't know, but can you think of anything like that in our society today? (laughs) It's like, how about just about everything, right? Slam, shout, accuse, condemn anyone and everyone who doesn't land exactly where I'm at. Because if anyone disagrees with me, it's not that they don't just have a point, it's that they're obviously idiots, right? That's kind of the, the default disposition in our society today. And so maturity is measured by our capacity to not get groomed, to not get sucked into these out-of-control reactions. 
that we see all over the place, proportional reactions. Uh, and so maturity is majoring on a verse like James 1.19, let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's pretty much the antithesis of just about everything on social media and, and cable news. But this is the kind of character quality that God intends for his children to cultivate. This is what maturity looks like. Hospitable is the next one. That literally translates as loving guests. A hospitable heart is a heart that welcomes people in. An inhospitable heart shuts people out. So that can apply physically to opening up our own homes to others, if that's an option. But it also just applies relationally to making time and opening up space for people. And so maturity is a disposition that just says, hey, you're not a bother. I have time for you. Come on in. The idea is that people aren't a distraction from the ministry God has for you, whatever that may be. People are the ministry. And maybe you found this that hospitality doesn't always fit seamlessly into our schedules. It's not like, I, okay, I'll slot out next Tuesday between 12 and 2.30 to be hospitable. It, it often starts with being available at a point of need. And so maturity is often measured in our willingness to be interrupted, to allow our plans to change for the sake of others. Able to teach is the next one, and like I said before, that's the only competency quality here for elders is to have the ability to communicate truth to others. It's not specifically standing up on a platform and doing so. Uh, there's different people who have different abilities to do so in different settings, whether it be one-on-one or in a small group, in a classroom, or, or here in a platform. The next one is um, not a drunkard, which means free from both excessive drinking and addictive drinking. Doesn't necessarily mean free from all alcoholic beverages or whatever that may be, but you know what? That may be the appropriate response. That may be the appropriate attitude because I don't have to tell you that addiction is a major issue. It's an issue in our world and it's an issue in the church. And so if you're one who needs to have a drink, Right? If it's the thing you look forward to, if you can't have fun without something in your hand, that's an indication that it's got too much control. It's too much of a controlling influence on your life. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we do want to be under a controlling influence, but, but not of spirits, but of the Holy Spirit and have him controlling how our lives are getting lived. Next is not violent, but gentle and not quarrelsome. So, so, so in between violent and quarrelsome is this attribute of gentleness. Uh, that is the mature response. And so maturity doesn't go around just picking fights and igniting fires of division and controversy. It's, it's gentle. It de-escalates. It seeks peace. It's being able to disagree without needing to be disagreeable. Next is not a lover of money. And this one is going to get its own special attention at the end of this letter. Um, so we won't go too deep into this, but the idea is that money is powerful. And a mature attitude towards money recognizes that money makes a good friend, but it makes a bad lover. 
And in our lives, we're either going to use money to love people or we're going to use people to love money. So keeping that in mind. Uh, After that comes family manager, managing your family well and just recognizing that the shepherding task, it starts, starts at home. And so church is not the place to go to to escape the craziness of your family, right? Things at home are no good, so let me run to church and do something where I can just get away from all that. Um, Church is meant to be an extension of the ministry that's going on at home, and the home front always comes first. And I do want to take note that the instruction here, it says uh, keeping his children submissive. Don't misread that. It doesn't, it's not to make children submit. That's not what it says. The call is to lead in such a way that the children under our roofs would be submissive, in dignity. And again, this is another call to character development. Um, okay, last two categories. We're running through these really quick. Uh, one is not a recent convert, and the last one is well thought of by outsiders. And both come with these warning labels attached, these spiritual warfare labels attached. When someone who's new to faith gets elevated too quickly to a position of authority, there's an arrogance that can set in. And that arrogance can open up themselves and the church to spiritual attack. And the same applies to that person who everyone in the neighborhood, everyone at work thinks that person's a jerk But for whatever reason, that person's built up their own little dominion inside of the church. And that kind of stuff really does happen. (laughs) And in both cases, that person, it says, becomes a target that Satan will work through to destroy the church. See, every church rises and falls on its leaders. The right leaders serving in the right places for the right reasons is an incredible gift. And the wrong leaders serving in the wrong places for the wrong reasons is an incredible risk. They put Christ's family in harm's way. And I've seen firsthand that there's no quicker way to destroy a church than by attacking its leaders. And it's been done many, many times. So let me close with one last house rule, which is in this house, examples mean everything. So verse 13 says this, those who serve well and as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's just uh, talking about that there is a good standing that people see and recognize and affirm. And it's kind of the whole point of this entire passage that, that people would, would be present in a church who could be living examples, not perfect examples, but that there be a degree of progress that those around would be able to see and recognize and affirm. And the outcome of that kind of life is influence. That's that's the leadership model. It's not like a badge authority, like, you know, a title authority, like, I've got this title, now I'm in this position, now the rest of you have to listen to what I have to say. That's not how church leadership works. It's leadership that's authenticated by lifestyle. That's the way God set it up to work. And so, you know, if I'm applying for a position 
say, um, say I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing with Home Depot, right? The, the, the focus is going to be on competencies, not on character. So I wouldn't sit down on an interview and expect them to ask questions. Hey, how's your marriage going? What kind of parent are you? Tell me about your attitude towards alcohol or money. That, that would be a little bit out of line for a job out there, but when it comes to positions in here, those are entirely appropriate for the leaders in this house. You see, here, leaders are examples before we're exhorters. So before talking to you about, here's what you ought to do, leaders going to often just come back and say, well, here's, here's how I've handled this. This situation when I was in, I've struggled through it, and here's what went well. Here's some of the lessons I learned, which I wish I could have done differently. But there's examples, living examples. And we're all still people in process. But I do want to end by just saying how blessed I am and how blessed this church is um, to have three high-character men who reflect what we're talking about here, serving alongside me on the elder team. And so uh, I want to just take a moment and recognize them. Um, At least two of them are here. I see Brian Pfeiffer is here. Uh, Felix Anabosi is there. And I'm not sure if Tony's on the premises or not. Tony Caputo is also. Um, These guys are a blessing. Uh, They have been a blessing to me. The things that we have dealt with are things that we never could have seen coming. And, And... I think for every single one of us, our approach to being asked, um, at least for myself, you know, even when it came to starting this church, I didn't really want to do it. I thought, let, we need a church. Putnam County needs a strong church. I wish someone else would do it, but nobody else was doing it. And so the Lord used that to just say, you do it. And I didn't feel ready. I don't think any guy who's ever stepped up to a leadership position has felt ready. And, and so this is, my, this, is, this is my challenge, my charge to you as, as you're leading, whether that be in the church or being an example to those around you in your life, taking that step of leadership. I think it's a lot like parenting for me. And, you know, I'll tell you, I never felt ready to be a father. Um, I, I don't talk to many people. I'm really ready to be a parent. You know, there's just so much to know. You never feel like you know enough, and there's just so much more to learn. And then suddenly there we are driving home from the hospital, and there's a kid in the back seat, in a car seat. You don't feel ready, but you step into the responsibility. That's, that's leadership. Don't wait until you feel ready. You never will. But right now, there's a way to step into that, grow into it, and just think about in the landscape of your life, what might be different because you were that leader, because you led God's way, because you were that example of a high character, in process, imperfect person who just tried their best to live and to lead God's way. Let's pray together. Lord,